say, or alcohol, do something that's really going to make a difference in your life, something that's going to be different from what's gone before. You're probably thinking that Stephen has really now completely lost it. He's had too many talks to write, too many mince pies to try and cook, and has somehow bypassed Christmas and moved into January. Um, of course, what you really know, you really know what I mean, and you know and deep down I know that I'm referring to the church's new year. You did know that, didn't you? Um, which begins today, Advent Sunday. And for centuries, we've started our year, our church year, our church new year in the season of Advent, which is a season of preparation for the beginning of the new church year, and it's a season of preparation for the coming of Christ. And we probably think of that mostly in terms of the Christ coming into the world as a baby. But of course, Advent, we need to remember, is also the season when we look to his final triumphant return in glory to bring in, usher in the new creation. And both of those manifestations are reflected in the music and the liturgy that we're using this evening. That's already been the case so far. So a season of preparation, preparation for Jesus' birth and his return. And traditionally, we would have known that Advent was imminent because last Sunday, which is the last Sunday in the Christian year, was Christ the King, also known as Stir Up Sunday. I'm sure you knew that as well. Stir Up Sunday is so called through a kind of weirdly British conflation of Anglicanism and Christmas cooking. The traditional post-communion prayer for Christ the King goes, Stir up, O Lord, the wills of your faithful people, that they, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works, may by you be plenteously rewarded through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the Anglican side, but it's also claimed that this is the optimum weekend to make or stir up your Christmas puddings. Hence, stir up Sunday. Which is also to do with preparation, after all. Preparation for the real season of preparation, which is Advent. So, have you thought much about preparing for Christmas this year? By which I mean spiritual preparation, not some kind of act of hedonism. And I say that kind of quite seriously because it's so busy this year. I mean, it always gets busy at this time of year, doesn't it? But it's as though this time where we're all being urged to make up for lost time somehow, the Christmas that we lost last year. So things seem even more manic than usual to me. I'm not sure if it's my imagination, but I, I just feel that. So finding a way to get ready for Jesus' arrival, I think it's even harder for us. And it's not going to happen automatically, that's the thing. It's not going to happen automatically, getting ready for Jesus' arrival. We have to make time, we have to be intentional about that. It's the first thing to, to remember, to think about. So, we're doing that at present. We're being intentional because we're having a sermon series during Advent on preparation for God being with us. And this is, into, this is to encourage us and to get us thinking and meditating, get us to draw near to Christ. And the Bible reflects that sense of anticipation. And of course there are passages through
through the Bible, kind of golden thread through the Bible, that have been traditionally used to help Christians journey through Advent. And today's reading is right at the beginning of the accounts of Jesus' birth and the circumstances leading up to it. So it's one of the passages that traditionally has been used in Advent. And in that reading, which we're going to hear in a couple of minutes, we meet um, a priest called Zechariah, or Zachariah. In the version I'm using, he's called Zachariah. And one of the things with the priests back then was that there were a lot of them. There were a lot of priests. I mean, a serious number of priests. They were like kind of delivery cyclists or something. <laughs> there were too many of them. There were anything up to 20,000 priests around in Israel at the time, the years leading up to Jesus' birth. And this meant that they couldn't all be doing the priestly duties every week. So they would cast lots to see who could get to do the, the most important bits, or the bits, say, when they went to the holiest part of the temple, the inner sanctuary, to burn incense. And it was possible that a given priest would never in his lifetime have the privilege of doing that, of burning incense. And when a lot did fall on a given priest, that day was probably the greatest in his life, the day he'd longed for and dreamed of. And on this day, it fell to Zechariah, and we're going to pick up his story now, which I will read. It's from the message. It so happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. The congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was paralyzed with fear. But the angel reassured him, don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, bear a son by you. You are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy, and not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He'll turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents and children, and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. Zechariah said to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man, and my wife is an old woman. The angel said, I am Gabriel, the sentinel of God, sent especially to bring you this glad news. Because you won't believe me, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time, God's time. Meanwhile, the congregation waiting for Zechariah was getting restless, wondering what was keeping him so long in the sanctuary. When he came out and couldn't speak, they knew he'd seen a vision. He continued speechless and had to use sign language. So not only did Zechariah win the lottery and get to go into the sanctuary of God, 
had an angelic visitation. I mean, he must have felt as if all his Christmases had come together. Though, of course, strictly speaking, Christmas hadn't happened. <laughs> but the text tells us that he didn't exactly shout for joy. In fact, he was paralyzed in fear. And that's the normal and, I'd say, perfectly understandable reaction to meeting an angel, a being who, it said, is able to stand in the presence of God. I don't think it's so much the power of Gabriel that would terrify, but his holiness relative to ours. And it's a standard reaction through scripture, isn't it, that people who receive visitations from an angel are terrified, and the angel often says, do not be afraid. And as I say, I don't think that's through the power of the angel, although they are obviously powerful beings, but it's just that we don't come up against a level of holiness in our usual lives. That level of holiness that allows a creature, because angels are creatures, to stand in the presence of the very source of holiness. They're creatures, and yet they can stand in the presence of God. There must be something so other about an angel. What does Zachariah's experience teach us about preparing for Jesus, though? That's the question, isn't it? Well, I'm going to look at that in three ways. Now, I don't usually do three-part sermons, but this turns out to be one point sermon. So first, the first thing that tells us from Zechariah's experience how we should be preparing for Jesus. Well, it tells us that to be prepared for Jesus, we have to listen to what God wants to say to us. We have to listen. Stop talking and listen. Zechariah doesn't seem to have a problem with the listening, actually. We know from earlier on that both he and Elizabeth were righteous sight of God, and they were, they were seekers after God. And now God's messenger, Gabriel, tells him that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby, and that he'll be called John, and that John will bring great joy to many and be filled with the Spirit, and that he'll get people ready for God. And Zachariah hears all that, and that's impressive stuff, isn't it? And given that he's terrified, he does hear it. He's listening. And I think our series that we've been doing recently on simplicity has been a great preparation for the season of preparation. Because it, it too has been about listening, doing less so that God can show us what we've been relying on in place of God. Last week it was saying less and listening more. And this helps us to value others more. I mean, there were lots of rich things that came out of it helps us to value other people more when we say less, because we become more of a blessing to those around us. When we say less, we give God space in our lives in order that we can hear him. And then we give God space to show us what really has been motivating us, and perhaps leading us away from God, getting in the way. The irony about the season of preparation, Advent, is that in this time, we ought to be listening to God. There's so much noise and rush and activity out there in the world that God can be just drowned out in the noise. Pausing and listening for his voice can seem almost impossible. In other words, the season of Advent has become an anti-Advent season. You'd think there was a spiritual battle going on, wouldn't you, that was trying to keep us from God. It's harder in Advent than in the other season of preparation.
then there is more space. The world isn't going so crazy. We almost need to be acting in inverse proportion to the way the world is carrying on at this time of year. Which isn't to mean that we opt out of the world. We're not opting out. Because we're placed in the world in different contexts. But we need to pinch ourselves to remind us to wake up and remember what this season is really about. So first, be prepared. To be prepared for Jesus, we have to listen. We have to make space to listen to what God wants to say to us. And then the second thing Zachariah's story teaches us about preparing for Jesus is that we need to believe. We need to believe what God is saying. It's not much use listening and hearing the words and not believing them. And this is the part that Zachariah doesn't do so well. And we can learn from his episode in unbelief. Zachariah said to the angel, Do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man, and my wife is an old woman. That's a fairly blunt reaction. And of course, in fairness to Zachariah and Elizabeth, his wife, the angel was touching on the great tragedy, probably, in their lives. They never had children and were now old. Childlessness is never good. It can be grievous. In those days, it was a valid ground for divorce with the woman always being blamed, and the woman always being divorced. He'd have been well aware, though, of the stories in his scriptures of Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah, all becoming pregnant through God's intervention, and supremely, Abraham and Sarah, also very old. It was a very rich tradition that he should have known about. But maybe his sadness swamped ability to believe the angelic being. And even though he's a righteous man, and this is the very thing that he and Elizabeth are being praying about, and God says he's answered the prayer, be careful what you pray for. Poor Zachariah and Elizabeth. And also the name Elijah ought to have been a big clue to him, especially for a priest steeped in the scriptures. Gabriel says, he, your son, John, will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah and soften the hearts of the parents to children. Zechariah would have known the book of Malachi, the last Old Testament book, which is full of prophecy, and it looks forward to God's return to bring judgment and salvation. And Malachi says, right at the very end, in the last two verses of the Old Testament, see, I will send the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents. This was the great hope among the Jews, that one of their great heroes, Elijah, would return and put things to rights. And just like Malachi says, they imagined it would literally be Elijah returning. Especially as Elijah, of course, had never died, but had been taken away in that chariot of fire. But they never imagined that it would be an Elijah figure type of Elijah, whose real name would be John, this wild hair-shirt guy who baptised people in the River Jordan and called them to repentance and cried out, prepare the way for the Lord. Zachariah was listening, but he just couldn't believe what Gabriel was saying. In fact, the angel says, because you won't believe me. Zachariah could obviously believe some of what was happening, i.e. this was an angelic being, he could believe that sent from the supernatural world, he could believe that. 
But the whole point of the message that Elizabeth would bear a son by him, who would be in some sense the fulfillment of Elijah's return, he couldn't believe. Because obviously, people of their age just can't have children. Yet Zachariah was proved wrong. They did have a son whose name was John, who prepared the way for Jesus. And I think we all need to ask ourselves, at what point does our faith in God's promises break down? At what point does your faith in God's promises break down? I mean, we may or may not receive an angelic visitation with a message from God, but we do have the scriptures, the gospel stories about Jesus' life, which contain solemn promises, promises upon promises, many from Jesus' own mouth, Jesus who was and is in very nature God, who only said what the Father wished him to say. Do you believe his promises? Do you believe his promises? Do you believe in his resurrection, that he died for you? Do you believe that? So that you can know God and be at peace with him, that you're precious and loved, he has plans uniquely for you. The list goes on. And if you're thinking this is all fine but God never speaks to me, of course he speaks to you. At the very least he speaks to you through scripture and your prayers through scripture and your conversations with other Christians. Ask yourself now what it is you find hard to believe about God's promises through Jesus. Just ask yourself that in your heart. That could be the very area of preparation for you this Advent. That's a thought which is resonant with promise. So first we need to listen to God to be prepared for Jesus' arrival. Second, we need to believe what God says. And then third, we need to respond. We need to respond to what we've heard and believed. It's unlikely God will reveal something of zero significance. God isn't going to say, talk to you about the weather. It's a bit colder today, Stephen, wasn't it? I mean, he's not going to say that to you. I mean, he could, but I just don't think he will. I think when he speaks to us, he usually expects a response, perhaps an action or an act of witness. It will vary, obviously. It's often a still, small voice that you hear. I heard it once. comfort and promise and I was completely blindsided by what God said and I ignored it for two or three years which was probably wrong how does Zachariah respond well he's got a crowd waiting outside for him to emerge meanwhile the congregation waiting for Zachariah was getting restless wondering what was keeping him so long he has a problem brought about by his lack of faith the angel said, I am Gabriel, the sentinel of God, sent especially to bring you this glad news, but because you won't believe me, you will be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Was that a punishment? Maybe I used to think it was a punishment, but I tend to think now that it was a kindness from God. Because like all, all saintly people, Zachariah wasn't perfect. His basic attitude was to seek righteousness, but his 
trying to let him down here. But God responds with a lesson which is also an act of grace, to develop faith in God's promises and to bring about gratitude and joy, because the angel specifically says it will be temporary. You'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time, in God's time. And it did all come true. Zachariah did regain his speech when John was born, and the floodgates opened at that point. He began to praise God so that the people all over the region were talking about what had happened. I don't think Zachariah's response would have been so ecstatic if he hadn't first had the learning experience of being dumb. We read later on, a deep reverential fear settled over the neighborhood, and in all that Judean hill country, people talked about nothing else. Everyone who heard about it took it to heart, wondering what will become of this child? Clearly God had his hand in this. Those things happened in part because Zachariah and Elizabeth responded and witnessed to God's work in their lives. And we can all do that. We can all do that. We've all got a story to tell. We're all a miracle of grace, grace that came into our lives, and we mustn't be apologetic about it. Why would you be apologetic about that? One of the opportunities that we've all got coming up at Redland this year is to invite folk to our Christmas services. And that isn't hard. Really, it's not hard, is it? I mean, you, think, you might think it's hard, but it's not. We do the inviting, but the spirit working in the people you invite does any changing of hearts. That's not something that you have to do. You don't have to work a miracle. You just do the inviting. I received hundreds of Black Friday emails towards the end of last week. I mean, I was bombarded with them. I'm sure it was more than last year. And they were nearly all emails which were legitimate in the sense that they were from organizations that at some point I bought something from. There weren't that many kind of total spam Black Friday emails. The thing that struck me was that these people want to tell me their story. They want to tell me what they passionately want me to buy. So they sell it, and they sing its praises. So why shouldn't we do that about Jesus born at Christmas? What's stopping us from doing that? Really selling the gospel we believe in. Because it's the most important thing a person could hear about this month. Just think about that. It could be the most important invitation they ever received. So for this Advent time of preparation for Jesus' arrival, first, what do you do first? Listen. Listen. I think you were listening just about. Okay. Second, what do you do? Believe. Believe. And third? Respond. 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 Fantastic. Okay. Um, is, is prayer now? Is it music? Let me, I'm going to pray and then we're going to have some music. Lord, we thank you for this
privileges in that context. Give us hearts to respond. And we thank you for the story of Zechariah, that priest, that saint who is still very human. 